Okay, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. All right, our sermon verses today, it's an entire chapter, which is something that very rarely happens, but uh, it's only a 10-verse chapter. So uh, Exodus 11, 1 through 10, and it's entitled, Announcing the Final Plague. All right. Uh, Exodus 11, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor, and every woman from her neighbor, articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as not, uh, was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. On uh, August 2nd of 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait with about 100,000 troops. On August 8th, they announced the annexation of Kuwait. Three months later, on November 29th, the UN Security Council passed Resolution 678, setting a deadline for Iraq to withdraw from Kuwait before 15 January of 1991 or face military action. Talks began in Geneva between U.S. Secretary of State James Baker and Iraq Foreign Minister Tariq Aziz. But by 9 January of 1991, they ended with no progress. Now, when I was in Malaysia at the time, I lived there three years, James Baker flew in. He was a part of the uh, uh, trying to get these uh, 10 rotating nations on the U.N. Security Council to agree to this resolution. And uh, I was there at the time, and uh, they flew right into the airport that I worked at, and uh, they finally did get all of this done, and uh, it didn't prevail. The talks failed, and so on 12 January, the U.S. Congress passed that joint resolution authorizing the use of military force to drive Iraq out of Kuwait. By this time, and with this final action, there was only an if not a when as to whether there would be a war or not. Some things are simply going to happen, and there is nothing that will stop them. Time marches on. Heads are often self-willed and obstinate. 
and hearts get harder, not softer, when faced with confrontation. Some scholars have claimed that if Pharaoh had simply agreed to let Israel go after having this final plague announced, the Lord would have relented and not brought the plague down on Egypt. But this is not correct. The structure of chapter 11 takes care to understand the timeline of the events that occur. The words of Moses, which announced this plague, are actually a continuous thought from the meeting started in chapter 10. Pharaoh hardened his heart, he refused to let Israel go, and ordered Moses' dismissal. Moses agreed, but after that, during the same meeting, the plague is now announced. There is no option as to whether Pharaoh can relent or not. Instead, there is only the absolute assurance that the plague will come and that it will be the Lord who executes the action. There's a point where bargaining is ended and only inevitable punishment is the result. Saddam Hussein found this out. He lost his sons. You remember those two jerks that were in that empty building? They finally got whacked, all right? He lost his army. Hundreds of thousands of people died in the process. He lost his nation, a nation which came under the rule of America somewhat as we formed a government there and it was somewhat stable for an amount of time and then we you know tossed it away when we elected the man that's in office now but Saddam Hussein lost his nation and then he lost his life he was at the end of a rope hanging there all because of a stubborn hard heart the same is true with Pharaoh history is replete with losers like this our text first today comes from Jeremiah 27 25, it's verses 27 and 28. Therefore you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. And it shall be if they refuse to take the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink. Judgment came upon the nations which surrounded Israel because of their treatment of Israel and because of their obstinate hearts before the Lord. Sin heaps up in the land until there is simply no more remedy, and the only alternative left is judgment. The world now is increasingly obstinate and hard-hearted against the Lord once again. The glories of the church age are quickly fading, and this time of grace is coming to an end. Anyone who thinks that God will somehow work differently now than he has in the past is deluded. We are given these stories to hopefully learn from, Unfortunately, you cannot learn from what remains unopened and untaught. Most of the world is at this very point with the treasure of God's superior word, but it is still available to instruct us if we will but open it and look into its hidden riches. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you from these 10 verses. The first is one more plague which is verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. At the end of the previous chapter, these were the final words that we looked at. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. But coming up in verse 8 of this chapter, we'll read this. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. From this, it is evident that verses 1 through 3 are parenthetical, having been spoken before the meeting with Pharaoh, which is still ongoing. 
Due to deficiency in tenses in the Hebrew language, the context is what drives the translation. In the case of many translations, like the King James Version, they incorrectly state here, and the Lord said, rather than now the Lord had said. Thus, such a translation makes it appear that there's a contradiction because it said that they would never meet again, but then they do meet again. Rather, this is one continuous meeting, but a parenthetical thought is now being introduced. At some point in the past, the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. This has been the reason for Moses' boldness of speech before Pharaoh. He has the sure word of the Lord that what is coming will be final. Thus, his words have been direct and they've been filled with boldness. The word for plague here has never been used in the plagues before. It is nega, which comes from the word naga, which means to touch. This plague is personal and it will personally touch those affected. The other plagues affected the people, but the personal nature of this one is highlighted by the use of this word. It is the same word which is used in Isaiah 53, verse 8, when speaking of Jesus Christ. He, the Son of God, would become our Passover lamb. Here's what it says. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was sent, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. That word right there. Already in the first words of this chapter, we are seeing a picture framing of the work of Christ. Remembering that Pharaoh pictures the ruler of the world and Egypt pictures the fallen world, we are being shown what the Lord would do for us in these types and pictures from 1,500 years before his arrival. Verse 1 going on. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. The Hebrew here for drive you out completely is completely driving out, he shall surely drive you out from here. The word completely then is speaking of all of the people and everything they own. Remember that was the contention through all of these plagues, one thing at a time. We want this, we want this, we want this. And Pharaoh kept giving just a little bit, not everything. As Canon Cook notes, the meaning is, when at last he lets you depart with children, flocks, herds, and all your possessions, he will compel you to depart in haste. There will be complete release, just as has been demanded, but more so. It will not just be with Pharaoh's approval, but as if he absolutely insists that they leave. Verse 2, tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. All the way back at the beginning of this journey, when Moses stood before the burning bush, the Lord said this to him in Exodus chapter 3, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians." As you can see, at the time, the Lord only mentioned the women asking for those items. Now that mandate is extended to men as well as women. All are to ask for such articles. The word for articles here can mean a whole host of things, such as weapons and utensils, all the way to cups and plates. As before, articles of silver and gold are specifically requested, not to enrich the Israelites, but for what the Israelites will do with them in the wilderness. They are being prepared for an organized mode of worship, which will continue on all the way until the coming of Jesus Christ. These articles will be used in the construction of the tabernacle and all of the utensils and furniture within that tabernacle and every part 
Every single detail of what they consist of will picture him. Every detail of it. God is plundering the Egyptians in order to form worship for his people. This then ultimately is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. In Christ, God took from humanity in order to build his greater and eternal temple. He did it in that Christ came from the stream of humanity to be the point of worship and meeting with God. As the tabernacle of the Old Testament, so Christ in the New. As I noted during the Exodus 3 sermon, the King James Version uses the term borrow rather than ask for the items both here and back in chapter 3. It is quite possibly the worst possible translation of any word in the history of the world, as most scholars agree. To borrow implies to return, and it is perfectly understood from the situation that returning is not a consideration. The plundering of the Egyptians has brought a lot of criticism on the Bible over the years. People have used terms like fraud, theft, deception, and other terms like that to describe what has occurred here. But what can one expect when a word in a context which surely means to ask is mistranslated as borrow? These men and women are instructed to ask of their neighbors for the articles that they would need and to which they actually had a 215-year right. Verse 3, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. Exactly as was said in Exodus chapter 3, it is noted here. The Lord had said that he would make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and now here it is a completed truth. And these words also show us that the word borrow is wholly incorrect. If the intent was to borrow, they would have had no need for the Lord to have given the Hebrews favor in their sight. People will lend to others even if they don't like them as long as they know they're going to get their thing back. Instead, the words are given to show that the Egyptians were favorably disposed towards giving them these things. And finally, the picture of Christ, which these words reflect, would make no sense with the word borrow. Christ was not borrowed from humanity. He came through it, and he belongs to it for all eternity as the incarnate word of God. Verse 3 going on, And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. These words are a result of the events of the nine previous plagues. When Moses first came, it was with Aaron as his spokesman and with a slowness of tongue, which he felt would be a hindrance, not a help. But during the plagues, he amazed and he baffled the magicians. And then he showed favor to the servants of Pharaoh and the people by announcing the plague of hail in advance and giving them warning to bring their animals in lest they die. By the time of the plague of locusts, the people were nearly begging Pharaoh to act and to release the men for the worship of Jehovah. Throughout all of the plagues, Moses had showed himself the representative of the God who was greater than the greatest of their gods. Being the representative of the Lord, he then was greater than the representative of their gods who is Pharaoh. This is all implied in these words right now. Just one more plague lies ahead. It will be a final blow, one, more, one beyond compare. With it, every firstborn son of Egypt will be dead. There will be great sorrow. Mournful cries will arise from there. When it comes, Pharaoh in haste will drive you out. But before you go, be sure to ask for articles of silver and gold. And as you finally start off, give a resounding shout for the marvelous deeds you have seen unfold. You will leave this land for another place, one which I have set aside especially for you. There in that land I will bestow upon you my grace. For you, my people, these things I will do. Our second thought is there will be loud wailing. This is verses 4 through 7. Verse 4, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says. 
With the parenthetical thought of verses 1 through 3 now stated, the words of Moses to Pharaoh in their meeting, which started in the previous chapter, now resume. Verse 4 continues, about midnight, chachasot halela, meaning about the middle of the night. The final terrible plague will come upon the land at that time. The time of the plague is announced and it is given in order to have the strongest possible effect upon the hearer. Midnight is when men are tired or even asleep. But the coming of this plague would be something which would deprive them of that. Further, though the time of day is given, the exact day is not. Would it be tonight? Would it be next week? The suspense of not knowing is intended to wear out the mind of the obstinate man who has challenged the Lord. From the entire passage of this plague, though, even we cannot be certain whether it was on the same night or whether the planning for the Passover came before this meeting or whether the first 28 verses of chapter 12 happened after the meeting with Pharaoh. It's just not, we're not able to tell. What is most likely and what I would teach you is that this plague will come upon Egypt on the very same night of this meeting that we're reading about right now. But for sure, all we know is that the plague is announced and that it will be about midnight. Verse 4 going on, I will go throughout Egypt. The I in this verse is emphatic. I I will go throughout Egypt. The Lord has spoken and the Lord will perform. The terminology is similar to what Isaiah writes about concerning a future plague which is coming upon the earth. Here's what he says in Isaiah 26. Come my people. Kind of think of these people in Egypt hiding behind their doors and this is what is coming on the future of the world as well. Listen. Come my people. Enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation has passed. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. When judgment is due, the Lord will come out of his place in order to execute that judgment. Pharaoh is warned. We are warned. Verse 5. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. The term firstborn is applied to males. The firstborn is considered the strength of the man and the continuation of his name. Thus we saw this in the blessing of Jacob upon his sons in Genesis 49. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might in the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Verse 5 continues. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne. Pharaoh is the highest official in the land. This is only the second time in the Bible that the term throne has been mentioned, all right? It properly means seat of honor. The first time it was seen was in Genesis 41 when referring to the throne of Pharaoh in relation to Joseph. Now it is referring to the throne of Pharaoh in relation to his son. This son bore the Egyptian title Erpa Sutensa, meaning hereditary crown prince. Unless he died before his father or unless he was removed from this royal position, he would be the one to assume the position of Pharaoh after his father. Thus, this is a direct challenge to the supposed deity of the Pharaonic dynasty. Along with him, several other gods of Egypt are hereby challenged. Min, the god of reproduction. Heket, the goddess who attended women at childbirth. And Isis, the goddess who protected children. Each of these, including Pharaoh himself, will be shown as false gods completely under the power and under the control of Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Israel, the one true God. Verse 5 goes on. 
to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill. In contrast to the firstborn son of Pharaoh, the firstborn son of the female slave would be considered the lowest level in the entire societal scale of Egypt. And in contrast to his throne is the handmill of this maid. While he sat in the place of honor, she would squat at the millstones, pulverizing the grain. The term here for labors is achar harechaim. It properly means behind the millstones. This is going to take consideration to understand. There are two millstones, all right? The plural is used, harechaim, or millstones. It's plural. First, you had one on the ground, which didn't move, and the other was on top of it, and it would have a hole in the middle and a handle on it as well. In Matthew 24, 41, Jesus explains that two women would sometimes work together on the millstones. One woman would grab grain and drop it into the hole. The other would grab the handle and pulverize the grain by spinning the millstone. She is the one behind the millstone. The harder work would be done by the lower slave. Like a world champion limbo star, this is as low as you can go. Thus, this verse is an all-inclusive statement. Both Pharaoh, in his seat of comfort, to this lowest of lowly slaves, and all in between, together they would be equally affected by what was coming. All will be afflicted by the torment of the horrifying plague. But despite what is coming, there is a note of grace. We've got to go back to Exodus 1.22. Pharaoh had demanded that all of the males of the Hebrews be cast into the river. Here, in response to that edict, which was all but forgotten by them, the Lord sets out to destroy only the firstborn. The words of Habakkuk can be retroactively applied to this account, where he said, in wrath, remember mercy. Despite this touch of grace, every family is included and no family is exempted. Heartache, sorrow, and death will touch all alike. But there is yet more. Verse 5 continues, and all of the firstborn of the cattle as well. The word here is behemoth. It properly means beasts, not just cattle. It would include any household pets from the revered cat to the friendly dog and to the exotic monkey. Whatever animals were kept in home, barn, or temple, they would all be affected by this plague. Thus, it is a complete attack on both domestic and religious life. The beloved pets and their sacred animals would all be shown to be under the authority of the Lord. No god represented by any animal would be able to stop the onslaught which has been ordained by him and its effects will never be forgotten. Verse 6, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. The word for wailing here is seaka. It means an outcry, as if in anguish. Thus, a loud wailing is a very good choice of words. Even today, women in the Middle East continue with the loud wails for which they are especially known. If you've ever heard them, they go, well, I don't do it as well as they do, but it's very, very loud. Unlike the West, where we're often, you know, we pr we're prone to withhold our emotional outbursts, I can tell you over there it is very common and it is extremely loud. But unlike a funeral for one person mourned by an isolated group of people, this outcry would be from all of the people throughout all of the land. Imagine the sound of millions of shrill, wailing cries permeating the darkened skies of Egypt. Surely nothing had ever occurred like it before, and nothing since then will ever be heard again. Verse 7, but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. This is often thought of by scholars as a proverbial expression, meaning that there will be only quietness in Israel, which is contrasted to the wailing in Egypt. 
A similar form of expression is found in Joshua 10:21. After a great battle where Israel's enemies were defeated, we read this. And all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Makedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. But there is more to this than just a sense of peace and quiet. This is also another noted judgment on Egypt's gods. The god Anpu, which is later known as Anubis, is the dog-headed god associated with mummification and also the afterlife. The implication then is that while the dogs are wailing along with the humans, which is something they're often known to do, no such wailing would be found among the Israelites. The god Anubis was ineffective in keeping the Egyptians from needed mummification, and Jehovah was fully capable of protecting each and every life associated with Israel. And there's a reason for this distinction to have been made. Verse 7 going on, Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Israel is to be redeemed from the plague. Egypt will suffer through it. The death of the firstborn is all and it is all that will withhold the entire wrath of God in Egypt. Otherwise, everybody would be completely consumed. However, in Israel, a substitute will be accepted. A lamb will take the place of the people. When the plague comes in that day, the Lord promises to make a distinction in the land. The term in Hebrew is yafle. It is the third of seven uses of the word pala in the Bible. It means to set apart, but it also means wonderfully or wondrously. And surely this is fitting for what will occur in this plague. There is a distinction and it is found between the redeemed of the Lord and those who refuse to yield themselves to him. The Lord will work wondrously. Verse 8, all these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me. There's more in the Hebrew here than we get in the English. There's a strong play on words which we miss. The words will come is the Hebrew veyaredu literally, and will descend. It is an idiom which indicates going from a nobler place to one of less grandeur. And yet, when they get there, what are they going to do? They're going to come bowing down before me. In other words, these officials would come to acknowledge the true royalty in the land. Though Moses isn't in a palace, they will descend to his place in order to exalt him. It is a fitting parallel to what is said about Jesus Christ in Isaiah 52. Here's what it says. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what they had not been told, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. The greater descending supposedly to the lesser. But when they get there, they find out that he in fact is greater. It's a perfect picture of Christ. Verse 8 continuing and saying, Go you and all the people who follow you. Again, there's a Hebrew idiom which is not seen in the translation. The words say, The people who are at your feet. It's an expression which means those who are willing to obey and follow a leader. Where his feet step, they will, will be willing to follow in kind. They will finally acknowledge him as the leader of their people. Moses is the human redeemer of Israel. Thus he pictures Christ who is the leader of Israel and of those who willingly follow him. Two comparable passages of note are found in the New Testament which are directed to Jewish believers. Here's the first one from 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And then in Revelation 14, verse 4, which is after the rapture, it's directed to Jewish believers. It says, these are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are those ones who 
follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. Verse 8 going on, after that I will leave. Moses adds in these words to let Pharaoh know that only after the authorities of Egypt come and bow down before him will he leave. Thus, it's a very hard jab directly at the person and the position of Pharaoh. Verse 8 going on, then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. In an extremely unusual burst of emotion, you follow Moses' life, this is very unusual. But he finally turns and he leaves once and forever from the face of Pharaoh. The words for hot with anger are bahori af. It means in the heat of anger. But the word af literally means nostril. And so we get the mental picture of his nostrils flaring and his face turning red in rage. Ellicott nicely describes the reason for his emotions. He says, for once his acquired meekness failed and the hot natural temper of his youth blazed up. His life had been threatened, he had been ignominiously dismissed, and he had been deprived of his right of audience for the future. Under such circumstances, he did well to be angry. For those I have redeemed, there will be peace. I will make a separation between them and the world. Between us, there will be harmony. All strife will cease. This for my people as their redemption is unfurled. My people will be safe while the land around them dies. To them, there will be calm in the midst of woe. Everywhere there will be mournful, wailing cries, except among my redeemed will it be so. And all of this is a part of an even greater plan. Their joys only picture countless souls in the future's world. From every nation on earth, there I will redeem man. Yes, they shall be my people, as the plan of redemption is unfurled. Our third thought, our final thought, the foolishness of the hardened heart. It's verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, the Lord had said to Moses... Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. This verse in Hebrew actually begins with the word and. It is used in order of thought, not specifically in time. And so unlike some some translations, the next words are correct. It should say the Lord had said rather than the Lord said. This is calling to mind the words which have been spoken several times and in several ways since his encounter with the Lord at the burning bush. It is a final recalling of the events which have led to the place where we now stand. Just prior to the actual events of the Passover is when this is occurring. Further, the words Pharaoh will refuse to listen are correct. It's obvious from the entire account of the nine preceding plagues that Pharaoh has willingly and stubbornly refused to listen to the Lord. Yes, the Lord worked on Pharaoh in such a manner that the outcome was assured, but it was only because of the obdurate nature of the man. When someone taunts or prods another person, the outcome will be based on the nature of the one taunted or prodded. Pharaoh was wired as one who would only increase his stubbornness in the face of the Lord's calculated prodding, but it is still he who is to blame for the outcome. And once again, in this verse, the reason for these things coming out this way is given, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Had one or two plagues been enough to secure the release of Israel, the memory of what happened would have quickly been buried in the passing of time. But as it came about, even hundreds of years after the Exodus, the surrounding nations still remembered what had occurred and they trembled at the name of the Lord. Despite the additional time of suffering in Egypt before their departure, Israel received other benefits from the time of these plagues as well. One of them is they could personally see the events unfold before their eyes. 
thus recognizing the greatness of the Lord and his superiority over all the gods. Two, they were given confidence in Moses as their leader, a confidence that will be challenged in the days ahead, but never overthrown by the majority. Instead, a sound system of human government lay under the theocratic rule of the Lord. Three, it gave them time to prepare for their inevitable departure rather than being hastily removed from their long-time dwelling in a haphazard manner. Four, they were free from any type of attack by the Egyptians for well over 300 years. Thus, their southern flank in Israel remained secure, and they could use that safety to establish themselves in their new homeland, not worrying about attack from that direction. And finally, five, they were able to plunder the Egyptians on their way out. Had they not remained during the full time of the plagues, this would not have occurred. For these and certainly other reasons that I can't think of, the additional stay in Egypt by Israel was an acceptable cost to pay. The Lord wisely determined all things for their ultimate benefit. Our final verse of the day, verse 10. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Again, this verse begins with the word and in Hebrew. It shows with certainty that the previous verse is to be rendered in the past, not in the present or the future tense. After the next plague, Pharaoh will, in fact, not just let them go, but he will drive them out. Reading and thinking these things through shows us why it is so detrimental to an understanding of the Bible to be captivated by a single fallible translation. God's word is not in error, but man's translation of it often is. Those who teach that one translation of the Bible and no other should be used only set themselves up for faulty theology and a singleness of mind which is harmful rather than helpful. This is the last time that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is noted prior to the Exodus. The next time the hardening of his heart is mentioned is after they leave Egypt, but before they come to the shores of the Red Sea. The Lord is not through with Pharaoh yet, but he is done with him for the time being. And so the wonders which have been conducted are mentioned and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart to this point is cumulatively chalked up to the work of the Lord. He has worked out his plan exactly as he said would happen in advance of it happening. Therefore, the credit for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is given to the Lord, even though it is Pharaoh who actively hardened it each time that he was faced with the decision to comply or to refuse. The past nine plagues and their wording, which is associated with them, are a classic study in the nature of man and how he responds to external stimuli. Unfortunately for Pharaoh and for Egypt, they have been used as examples for us at their own loss. From this account, which really happened in human history, we can learn how to act as humans and how to respond to the Lord as he unfolds life's lessons before us. If we can just remember the lesson of these past nine plagues, Pharaoh's hardening of his heart and how the responses came each time. When they come our way, we can act differently than he did. We're going to face trials. We're going to face temptations. We're going to face all kinds of troubles in this life. Death of the ones we love. All kinds of just difficulties. But if we can just remember the lesson of Pharaoh and soften our heart instead of harden it, everything will go as it should. And if we don't, we're going to end up in the same basket as this guy. Saddam Hussein never bothered with the Bible, and he repeated the same type of mistake as Pharaoh did here. Someday the Antichrist will follow along this same sad path, and unfortunately, others are lost in their destructive wake. Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis perished because of Saddam Hussein. Billions and billions of humans will perish because of the Antichrist. 
In Isaiah chapter 13, the Lord says he will make man rarer than fine gold. And this is speaking of the future to us now. This is really coming on upon the world, but it can be avoided. God has offered us terms of peace which circumvent the leaders of this world. It is found on calling on Jesus Christ. You move from this world to the world of Christ, and nothing can harm you after that. By doing so, when we make that choice, we are transferred over to his leadership. Just as he led Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, he can and he will do the same for those who call on him. If you want a part of that heavenly visitation, let me tell you what you need to know. All right? Jesus Christ died for the sins of the people. And we're seeing that starting to be pictured in the fact that a lamb is going to be used as a substitute for the sins of the people and for the taking of the firstborn. And this is going to be built on in the next few chapters to the point where you're going to see Jesus all over it. You're, you're simply not going to believe the pictures that are coming. And they all are there to show us what God did in human history with Jesus Christ. He came perfect and without sin. He lived perfectly and without sin, and he died without sin. And therefore, he is capable of taking away our sin. He can be our substitute. Our sin is nailed to his cross. And then to prove it, he came out of the grave proving that he had no sin of his own because the wages of sin is death. If you died because of sin and he came out of the grave, then that means he could have had none of his own. So the wonderful marvel of what Jesus Christ did is that what we have done wrong died with him. It is forever buried in the grave, but now we are in him. And so we are brought to everlasting life. And it is realized the very moment that you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior, the very moment. You're going to die physically, but you will never spiritually die again. And someday Christ is going to come and bring us to himself. And maybe that'll be before you actually die at the moment called the rapture. We'll all be taken to be with him for all of eternity. This is the hope of the believer in Jesus Christ. And I would ask that if you have never made that choice, that you will do so today. Please don't let another day go by without calling on Christ. Our uh, closing verse today comes from Psalm 57. It's the first verse. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Next week we're going to look at Exodus 12, 1 through 11. It's a prophetic stopover. It is the Lord's Passover. That'll be our 32nd Exodus sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. I sent this to uh, Kat this morning. I sent it out to everybody on my Facebook page. I give them a birthday greeting and I add in these words. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Happy birthday, Kat. Thank you. Our poem today is called The Plague on the Firstborn. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Egypt and on Pharaoh. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely as you go. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, just as the Lord had told. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt, the land, by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. He was considered grand. So Moses said, this is what says the Lord, about midnight throughout Egypt I will go. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die according to my word. And then that I am the Lord, Egypt will surely know. 
from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill. All the firstborn will die, as I have shown, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever again will be. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any, at any person or animal with your eyes. This you will see. Then you will know that the Lord, as I to you tell, make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, it is true, bowing down before me and saying, Go you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave, and for this you will be praying. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Out of his presence he did go. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. His heart will be hardened through and through. Moses and Aaron performed, as the Bible does in part, all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let out of his country the Israelites go. From this, important lessons we should learn. An entire nation was judged because of one hardened heart. For truth and justice our souls should yearn, and the Lord's great name to others we should impart. Someday what happened to Egypt will happen again, but this time it will come upon the entire world. Great tribulation and plague will come upon all men as God's righteous judgments are unfurled. And so now is the time to call out for redemption, to receive Jesus and be saved from this great tragedy. Through his shed blood, we will receive exemption. At the rapture, he will come, our saving remedy. The time may not be far off now. The world is quickly falling apart as wickedness does increase. So let us get the word out to everyone somehow before God's mercy upon the world does cease. We thank you, Lord, that there is saving grace. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus. Someday soon we will see you face to face. Such wondrous things you have done for us. Praises to you, our great and awesome God. Thank you for those heavenly streets we will someday trod. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the hope, the sure hope of the rapture. We thank you for the, the fact that we are in Christ right now. And even if we die before that time, that we will be raised to eternal life and we will be with you in your presence for all eternity. We thank you for these stories of Pharaoh, which have been given almost in a manner which is uh, peculiar, but each one of them has built upon the next to show us our own state before you and how the hardened heart is something that will eventually just be cut off and there'll be no remedy left. And so help our hearts to be soft, help us to not be obdurate and foolish like Pharaoh, but instead to just remember that you are in control of all things and that when trials come, that we can yield ourselves to you knowing that they will be ended at some point. Help us in these things because we're weak. Lord, we're stuck in these bodies and they get old and they get frail and we're just weak. So give us strength, at least in our minds, to endure what comes our way so that when it does come, we'll be able to continue to praise you to praise you and say hallelujah and amen in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. amen. We get the uh, instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there Paul wrote these words, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said these words, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam HaMotzi Lechem Min HaAretz And he broke it. <laughs> and he said, take and eat. 
this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. He would have blessed us as well. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was doing that this morning. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you so much for allowing us to come to this table week by week, and to uh, remember what Jesus Christ did for us until he comes again. And Lord, you know the, the children that uh, are on the hearts of the people in this congregation right now, little Mason and uh, the other child with the high fever and little four-year-old with all the tumors, we would ask that your hand would be with them and help them. And for the other prayer needs that have uh, been brought up, Rachel and her job, and uh, just the, it, the list is so long, Lord. It just it goes on and on. But we pray for all of these people, and we also pray for our missionaries overseas, that you would be with them and give them comfort as they serve you and to help them to uh, do an effective and great work for you bringing many souls to know Jesus before that moment comes when the door is shut. 
Lord, we love you. We praise you and we exalt you. Help us to live our lives properly in the week ahead, glorifying you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.